You feeling okay, Doug? No, You've been sick for a while. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So on this January 19th, 2020, can you believe it's like almost been a month since Christmas? How are we doing three and a half weeks since Christmas, since the Advent season? Just think, only 339 more sleeps until Christmas 2020. But who's counting? Now that we're in the middle of January, we're getting kind of back into the routine of life. Now that the temperature is promising to warm up, are we getting the thaw out? Who would have thought that minus 30 would have felt so warm? I went out the other day, it's like, this is not too bad. And it was like minus 30. <laughs> How many of us are looking forward to spring in just over eight weeks? And not to hopefully another three or six months of winter. Or how many of us, perhaps, are still struggling or struggling as a result of the cold, as a result of the few hours of daylight we have during this time of year, or just struggling because it's January and it's not July. As a lady told me in a checkout the other day, well, you, you don't kill any mosquitoes in January. Now, if you find yourself struggling during this month, you're not alone. Because many people struggle during this month of January. So much so that a travel cable channel in England a few years ago called Sky Travel is now defunct. And no doubt a sky or a travel cable channel, no doubt to increase sales. They came up with an idea. They took advantage of how people feel usually in January. And they gave the name for tomorrow. So tomorrow is January 20th, 2020. The third Monday of January. They called it Blue Monday. They had a, some formula they worked out and said, this is one of the most depressing days of the year. And they said this for various reasons. Well, they said for one, it's due to the combination of post-Christmas bills coming in. We're starting to get those statements in and going, we spent that much on Christmas? Or already by now, and I heard on the radio on the way in here this morning, how many of us made resolutions come New Year's and today we know how far we fell short of those resolutions? My resolution was not to make one. Or it's the low sun-like levels and, of course, the cold weather. They say that when these things are added together... It makes this day far from a day of being celebration, the Blue Monday, and far from a day of joy, but one of the most hard, depressing days of the year. And the reality is that, yes, these days in January can be hard. 
there's no pleasure getting into a vehicle and sitting on a cement block. Or you're trying to start a vehicle that doesn't start. Or something breaking on a vehicle because of the cold, cold weather. But do we understand that even though these days are hard, they're not as going to be as hard as the days we're headed for. As we lead up to the second advent of Jesus' return, which the author mentions at the end of verse 25 of the day drawing near. Now, I'm not trying to get us all down in, in the dumps. So hear me out. Also remember that before the end of verse 25, the author in the book of Hebrews talks about gives us keys in verses 19 to 25 towards not only how we can survive these coming days, but also how to thrive through those coming days. I'm going to speak on that part next time. And actually, we're going to start a sermon series about how we can thrive living as the day draws near till Jesus' return. Now, with starting a sermon series like this on Starting a topic like this today, I'm not predicting that in 2020, Jesus' return is going to take place this year. Because the scripture is clear, only the Father knows. The Son doesn't even know when Jesus is going to return. I think it's a waste of time trying to plot out exactly when Jesus is going to return. But the truth remains that with each moment that passes... Jesus' return, the promise is that Jesus will return, that with each moment, it's coming that much closer, is it not? We're just all five seconds closer to Jesus' return. Tomorrow, we're going to be one day closer. Next week, a week closer, etc. Now, as I alluded to earlier, Scripture is also clear that the days leading up to Jesus' return will not be nice. This is something that Jesus even said. Matthew 24, verses 6 to 7. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nations will rise against nations, then kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And later in Matthew 24, Jesus further says about the time up to his coming. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Adding to this is what Paul says about will lead up to Jesus' return in 2 Timothy. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parent, parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpleasing, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen, with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's just a few of the verses that tells us that these coming days are going to be hard and not easy ones. Now I paint that picture because it's been my experience over being a Christian for over 30 years that even though the Bible declares it, even though Jesus saying it, that these days will be hard, even says that these days will be tribulation or trouble for a believer to live through, that's in Christian circles. There's false sort of thinking, teaching, and I'm falling into that at times as well, that somehow we believe that as time marches on, things are going to get better. 
And certainly there's plateaus, there's small rises that for the moment things do get better or see things are constant for a while. But we know what the Bible says. We know what Jesus says. And if we, even outside of that, if we take a step back and think about it, how can we expect this world to get better when there's sin in it? Sin that's corrupting God's perfect creation. How many of you have ever had experience that you've gone to the cupboard and there's a loaf of bread that you put in there two days ago and one of the loaf of bread is getting green? So if you're single and young and, and poor, what do you do? You flip the loaf around and take it from the other end, right? <laughs> Maybe you still do that. But how many of us put the bread back in the cupboard and think tomorrow it's going to be better? <laughs> we know what's going to happen. That green mold's going to work its way through everything. That's what sin's doing in this world. It's contaminated. It's continually to contaminate everything and everyone. What was once God's perfect and good creation, Romans 8.20. For the creation was subject to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subject it in hope. Sin is in this world. Again, pointing towards how bad things are going to become. The Apostle Peter tells us that one day, this whole world, all within it, is going to burn up. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burnt up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on them, on it will be exposed. Why does the world need to be destroyed? So the new heavens and new earth can come. Why does the new heavens and new earth need to come? Because the old one was no good. The old one, it, the new heavens, new earth needs to be replaced the old because the old was horribly corrupted because of sin. Now, even though that's the bad, even though the Bible confirms how bad things are going to become, before we bury our heads in the sand, the Bible also is clear, confirms that believers of Jesus Christ are called not to worry. Matthew chapter 6. Or despair over these days. Our, our heart should ache over sin, but we're called not to despair. Because the Bible still calls us to live and plan for a future. Think about how many Proverbs talk about planning for a future. We are still called as believers to be the salt and light of the earth, adding flavor and zest to this world. Sermon on the Mount. We're called to help the marginalized. Again, in Proverbs and in Jesus' teaching. And we as the church are called as Jesus' body. Therefore, his hands and feet to do what Jesus would do if he was here. which is Matthew 7, the golden rule sums up, doing to others what we'd like done to us. It's pretty easy to figure out how we can help somebody else because we ask ourselves what I would like to be done to me in this situation. 
we've been called to do these things and all the more up to the day that Jesus returns. Why? Because we give glory to God then. Also, we call to do these things, especially in the light of Jesus' return, so we gain the opportunity to share the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ, which speaks of how people can be saved only through him from the sin that has contaminated them in this world. Saved, of course, only through what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Again, what Hebrews 19 and 20 talks about is what Jesus allows to happen when we put our trust in him because of what he did on the cross for us. We can enter the most holies of holies. We can enter God's presence because Christianity is foremost a relationship with the living God. Now I hope we would agree that being saved from our sin, being saved out of this world that's full of corruption is really good news. Amen? I've recently heard this about what makes the good news really good, what one part of makes the good news really good. It's mostly because everything in this world and everything we hear about this world is really bad news. How many of you enjoy watching the news? How many of us want to pull our hair out or go hide after hearing the news? The bad news, of course, is that we who lived life somewhat have experienced in one way or another already. The bad news could be at living through these dark days of winter or through the state of affairs that's taken a place around us seemingly with ever-increasing speed. Well, the huge downturn in Alberta that we've experienced over the last couple of years, by the way, they're saying that the, what we went through is even worse than the 80s not just economically, but how many of us don't recognize Alberta anymore? Or what's happening in Canada as a whole, that being Christian now, it seems like you're out of the crowd because you can be a person of another faith, be accepted, but as soon as you say you're a Christian and want to stand for certain things, you're told, no, you're being a bigot. You're being out of line. Or how about through the world events that are changing every day? That's the airline that was shot down. A couple weeks ago when I was preaching, I was watching the news feed flash on my screen. And it just seemed like we were in a Cold War all over again. Actually, it seemed like the Cold War would actually be nice to live in again. Now things are changing weekly. With the results being what? Even though if they own a minute, worry. Compounding to this, of course, is the bad news that we face and realities are living our lives. Those personal things that come against us and against our lives. Broken relationships, health challenges, economical challenges, unfulfilled dreams. Never thought my life would turn out this way. Again, all a result of living in a fallen world. You know, those things that drag us down. Those things that have the potential for robbing us of our joy, robbing us from a zest and zeal of our faith, that makes life hard. Now, with tenderness, compassion, and care, despite these things that rob us of our joy, 
we have believers of Jesus Christ they're still called to live for him in the ways that I mentioned earlier and many more ways now live for him not in enduring each day oh, just get by this day or a wishful thinking that I'm just going to go to bed and hope today's tomorrow's going to be better you ever one of those days where by 10 o'clock you just want to crawl in the bed so a couple my first day of holidays I was sitting downstairs I had a little bit of stuff to do and I just start my you know to-do list and I'm halfway through the first phone call it was to Miller my boys come down and say to me dad it's an emergency and we've told them never to drop something on the phone unless the house is on fire and I said is the house on fire he said no he said the fish tank is leaking So the fish tank's been there for eight years. There's a book shelf on the top. Uh, uh, one of the big rocks bookends fell down and hit the fish tank. It was leaking. <laughs> but that was after uh, an iron broke, which is a minor thing, but we're trying to iron some clothes. And then my dryer started squeaking. Like it was just like Murphy's Law was in full effect that day. And I was like, I, like thankfully it wasn't leaking that bad, but we... We were able to fix it, or not fix it, but we were able to save the fish and all that and not have too much water anywhere. But it's just like, you know, days are like that. Like, what's going to be next? But that's not how we're called to live. Nor are we called, and especially I'm finding this as I get older, nor are we called to wishing that it was the good old days. Oh, if I just could go back, it was simpler back then. But the Bible is clear, I believe. We as Christians, we who believe Jesus, have been called not to survive, but to thrive until Jesus' return. Because isn't a life of thriving what Psalm 1, 1 to 3 speaks about? What I read this morning. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Or the thriving life, isn't that the abundant life that Jesus talked about in John chapter 10, verse 10? I come to give you life abundantly. Abundantly here in the Greek means extraordinary, more than usual, quality so abundant that it is considerably more than what one would expect or anticipate. Which, at least for me, doesn't sound like a boring life. Or a life where we're just enduring each day. Or a life where just like you are hoping tomorrow is going to be better. Or wanting to go back. That we can't do anyways. You know, the abundant life sounds like a life of thriving. It doesn't sound like it's a life of survival. And what I mean by thri- thriving, it's not feeling those things that come against us. It's also not having all the possessions in the world. It's not about having experiences. It's not about status. It's not about likes on social media. It's not about comfort. But having a life that is thriving biblically, I think, means having a life of joy. Of being content and happy no matter what. Again, third, if you remember, through the week of Advent, this past year, we talked about this sort of joy. Joy that came into the world or was announced to the world the night that Jesus came, for I bring you great glad tidings of great joy. Type of joy that Jesus promised his people, type of joy that Jesus says is already within us, and he says it can't be taken away. 
It's ours. Now, today, and forever, as surely as Jesus is, joy is. Because Jesus and joy in the Bible are something that's linked usually together. Especially if you look at the book of Philippians, where Paul talks about Jesus quite a bit, and he talks about joy just as much. And if you remember, I think it was the Advent series I went through, staff writer from Desiring God, John Bloom, asked the question, what's the most repeated command in the Bible? In one way or the other, he answers, God commands his people to be happy, to be joyful. Now, if Jesus and joy are intertwined so deeply together, the fact is that when we have true faith in Jesus, in other words, when we're believers, then we must have unlimited joy at our disposal. Scripture does not lie. In addition, this joy that we have that Jesus has promises, it's not a joy that's linked to our circumstances, our situations, our experiences. It's a deep sort of water, deep ballast sort of joy because it's not linked to anything in this world. It's linked to someone out of this world. Countless times the biblical writers speak of the sort of joy that's not linked to anyone in the world. James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Proverbs 10.28, the hope of the righteous brings joy, but the exact expectations of the wicked will perish. What's our hope as the righteous? It's in God, not in this world. Romans 15.13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Our joy comes from God, and I like this way Paul writes it. Rejoice, eyes. Be happy, eyes. Minus 45, be happy. Be happy if they're lighting the flame of the wood underneath you when they were going to burn you at the stake. These are some of the many verses that speak of joy, a type of joy that's not linked to our experiences and circumstances, but linked to Jesus Christ. Now, isn't this the type of joy that the Apostle Paul experienced? expressed in his life you know we think about the apostle paul also i would say that his life could be described also as a life of thriving what did he do except rock the world that we're still feeling the effects today about for going with the gospel message to the gentiles but yet paul talked about joy even though he experienced horrible things 2 Corinthians 11, that's his resume of what he experienced, right? I mean, shipwrecked three times I've received from the Romans. How many whippings? And he goes on and on and on. I love at the end of that, he says, outside the normal duties that a pastor has. Shuts up every pastor who's whining. But he still had overwhelming joy that came through all his letters. And reality is, is that 2 Corinthians 6.10 really sums up Paul's life verse. Sorrowful yet eyes rejoicing. He had a joy that wasn't defined by his circumstances, his experiences, his situations, but came out from within him, from knowing Jesus. You've heard me use this illustration before. 
about people who eat onions and garlic. Eat a point, it just oozes out of you, right? Joy was oozing out of him. <laughs> Whip me, I'll be happy. Remember, he was in jail and they're singing hymns. And finally, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what does Paul say the, one of the true marks of a Christian is? Joy. You know, anybody remember the Muppets? Those two old guys up in the balcony? How many of us know Christians like that? Hopefully none of us are one. Because joy is a result of the Holy Spirit's work within us. As he works us out from inside of us to make us more Christ-like, the longer we are believers, uh, therefore allowing joy to flourish out from within us. A joy that's again not linked to our circumstances, our situations, our experiences, our history. Because if joys only link, our joys only link to those things, it's great when they're going well. But when those things change, it just sucks the joy out of us. So in a few weeks, as I said, I'll return to Hebrews chapter 10. Where we'll look at practical ideas of how we can thrive. Therefore, have joy. Until then, consider, as we go on living as the day draws near. Are we going to go through life having a type of joy that's only determined the world around us? Are we going to continue having just joy like that and most likely then suffer a lot of Blue Mondays. Or we're going to choose the joy that Jesus gives. That's based on him in us who gives unlimited joy. Doesn't mean that we don't feel, we don't get rocked by the world around us when bad things happen, but the joy brings us back to center. You know, remember I said joy is like kind of, the unlimited joy is like kind of having all the money in the world? When you were a kid, maybe you still play the game. What would you do if you had all the money in the world? When I was a kid, I was thinking, I'd walk in a store and I'd just reach my bag and pull this out and that out and this out and that out. Well, we have unlimited joy. Do we ever pull it out of the bag and choose joy in the situations that we are confronted with? So as we conclude, may we choose wisely and choose to strive to thrive. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, there's a lot in this world that makes me chicken. But yet, it doesn't catch you off guard. It doesn't really catch me off guard if I thought about it as sin works itself through but in those situations where the reality of life hits me square in the face let me feel it but let me respond Lord God joyfully because it serves as a reminder of a better place that's awaiting for me when Jesus returns but serves as a reminder that this world is not perfect that's why when you saved us, you left us in this world to be the light. To share the hope of the gospel. That I share with my words, but also share with my, my life as I react to things 
that happen in this world. Lord God, help me, help us to respond joyfully and thrive. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.